chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a 90% chance that you are not gay. But I want you to know that it's okay. I don't think any less of you. Just because you may not identify as LGBT doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to this episode of my podcast. In fact, I really hope that my straight friends in particular do listen. The month of June is recognized as pride in the LGBT community. Pride is the one month of the year that our community collectively and consciously shines a light on the issues that impact our community. We highlight issues around inequality in the workplace, housing, policy, healthcare, and other areas of life that may seem really basic, but are actually very important to the quality of our day-to-day lives. We also celebrate the diversity that makes us who we are. Yes, that can mean celebrating our sexuality. And I know how uncomfortable that makes folks. It's a lot easier and more pleasant to think of us like the funny and playful characters that we all like so much on Will and Grace. But our sexuality is part of who we are. The issue that I take up with my own community is that our sexuality is not all of who we are. We have a lot to celebrate, not just our sexuality. Over the last year, legal protections have moved our way in several states. Colorado elected the first openly gay man to their governor's office. Pete Buttigieg is the first openly gay Democratic presidential candidate. Coming out is getting easier for young people. These are all worth our attention and our celebration. My hope is that our progress and the issues that need the attention and support of our entire community and our allies don't get drowned out by distractions and divisiveness. The spotlight seems to shine on our community for one reason or another all the time. But this month, that light burns just a little brighter. By design, of course. But it is accompanied by resistance, an outcry over the fact that pride even exists. If the gays get a parade, why don't I get a straight parade, someone asked on the news. Pride and other profile holidays aren't meant to be a fight between you and me. Pride is not an attack on your way of life. It does not diminish or discount your way of life. And just because there is a gay pride doesn't mean you need a straight pride. In fact, trying to make the case that you need a straight pride really just makes my point. If that inequality seems unfair to you, welcome to our life. These recognition holidays create opportunities for all of us to learn about people who are different than we are. And the idea to highlight a community isn't exclusive to just the gays and pride. Black History Month comes to mind. And, by the way, so does Christmas, and Easter, and Thanksgiving, and Hanukkah, or St. Patrick's Day. We live in a diverse country. We are better people, a better country, when we make an effort to be better informed as citizens. These holidays create an opportunity for us to learn about the other, people who have had a different life experience, people who come to the table with ideas different than ours because their life experience taught them lessons that we never had to learn. I'm glad we live in a country where we have the freedom to celebrate pride and all of these other holidays because they offer all of us the opportunity to consider another point of view, another perspective, another opportunity to learn about one another and a chance to demonstrate our compassion and humanity toward one another. 
In that spirit, I want to take this opportunity to share bits of a conversation that I had with my friend, Karen Thompson. Reverend Karen Thompson is the pastor of MCC Austin, a progressive Christian church in Austin, Texas. Karen and I have been dear friends for many years, and I consider her to be one of the finest human beings that I know. And when I wanted to start the Austin Pride Foundation 10 years ago, Karen was one of the founding board members. That's why I knew that Karen was who I wanted to talk to for this special Pride episode of my podcast. In our conversation, Karen and I talk about the state of the LGBT community. I ask her why we seem to make it so hard for us to be loved. And I ask her if she sees a day when pride is no longer necessary. Karen is compassionate, she is kind, and she is wickedly smart. My kind of girl, if I were into that sort of thing. Come on, I had to make one gay joke. Karen is tall and has a sort of accidentally hip vibe to her. We met at her church in South Austin, where she greeted me in Wranglers and a cool t-shirt with a smiley face on it that had a bicycle for eyes. She seems too cool to be a grandmother, but I know if you ask her, she would say her family is the coolest thing about her. You can learn more about Karen, her work, and find an archive of her sermon recordings at chadpv.com forward slash Karen. If we grew up in the church, uh, you can't just uh, one day decide, okay, I'm gay and and everything that I learned was wrong and I'm okay with who I am and, and I'm proud and all that. You can't. This is Chad Peavy. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you would like to learn about my work or working with me, you're welcome to check out my website, chadpv.com. You can find this and the other links mentioned in this podcast in the program notes. Karen, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you're a very busy lady. Why did you agree to do this? I agreed to do this first because I love Chad PV. <laughs> and secondly, because I care about all things um, in, in Austin and in the community, especially LGBTQ um, life and community. And this was a great opportunity to bring those things together. Well, it took a weird turn for those folks listening who heard Reverend Karen Thompson, and then you launched immediately into LGBT. (laughs) Bridge that gap for us. Well, it's interesting you brought that up because I don't even really think about it anymore. But um, I'm a pastor of an MCC church. The Metropolitan Community Church came into being in the late 60s when a defrocked Pentecostal minister, Troy Perry, realized that he had uh, a mission to uh, welcome LGBTQ people into the Christian church, and and that wasn't done in the late 60s. Um, And so he began a church, started with 12 people in his living room, expanded, expanded, eventually um, expanded into many different countries. Thousands of people are now part of um, the MCC movement, and uh, we're one of the, the churches. This is our 40 third year. And what year is this for you? Well, it's my, let's see, it's my 17th year here. I I tell people that I've done everything here except uh, lead the music program, which is a great (laughs) blessing for everyone. But you have not always been MCC. Right. But you have always, I'm guessing, had 
faith was a part of your life. Faith was always a part of my life, but um, I'm old enough that uh, that wasn't always a clear path for women. Okay. So there was that piece. Uh, I also feel like I had um, a calling to teaching early in my life. Uh, I taught high school English and history and coached for 16 years, and, and that felt like a calling and was tremendously important to me. Uh, but eventually I felt that tug to um, go to seminary and to become a pastor. And uh, my my journey there started in the Presbyterian Church. Okay. Yeah. I, wanted, I would like to um, focus on the word you used, tug, mm. the tug to do it. Because I think a lot of the people that listen to to this podcast um, maybe feel a tug in one direction or another for something that they want to be doing, a dream they want to pursue, yeah. a career they want to go after, a business they want to start. And that tug, it can be really scary. So uh, yes. how did you how did you manage the tug? How did you know where and when and where did you find the strength to to give in, I guess. Yeah. The, t- the tug for me, I-, I call the Holy Spirit. The tug can be anything. Um, in, um, in, in Christian language, though, that tug is, is a call and call is tied to the, the root of vocation. So it's all wrapped together. So uh, you've got this spirit, you've got this call, you've got your vocation. Uh, and, and let me just say right here that that ministry does not have to be professional ministry. Uh, we can all serve the world and and help create a better world in, in wherever we find ourselves. But for me, that that tug was, it was to ministry, but I was a part of the Presbyterian Church at a time when the Presbyterians were not ordaining gay and lesbian folks. I decided that the tug was too strong and that I needed to follow it. And I entered seminary and that's that's where the journey towards ordination started. You do have children. Mm-hmm. Um, were you married at the time? I I I was not legally married, but um, I was married. Uh, I consider myself married. I just celebrated um, my twentieth anniversary with with my wife Stacy, and we have three kids. Um, uh, the oldest is is Landy, and um, the younger the younger daughter is Lindsay, and then Aiden is a, is our youngest. And I asked that because you also said you were closeted at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you and Stacy were yeah. in the closet together. Yeah, yeah. We you know we lived together, but there were all kinds of you know you could explain that all kinds of ways. Yeah. We we raised the the children together. I, I think things. Um, really started to change for us when we had Aiden, because we had Aiden together. Uh, and, Did you adopt? Uh, no, Stacy carried Aiden. Okay. But but if we can just diverge for a, a minute, you know, I did have to adopt Aiden. So we made the decision together to conceive a child. Uh, we used a cryobank. I was I was involved from the beginning, and there was a part of my pride that said to me, you know, he's mine, mm-hmm. and I am not going to go through the adoption process mm-hmm. and and let the establishment determine, you know who is mine, my son. Um, the first time I needed to make a doctor's appointment for him when Stacy, his birth mother, was out of town, I was not able to do that. And I thought, this, this is where you let Just your pride go. Just making a simple Just, doctor's could, appointment. No. Yeah. Can't do it. So this this was 18 years ago now. 
and I could not make a doctor's appointment for him. When Stacy finally made the doctor's appointment, I couldn't even, she was out of town, I couldn't even confirm what time it was so that I could meet her there. Uh, the doctor's office would not give me that information. Wow. And so I realized I've, you know, I've, I've got to do it. So uh, it was a humbling thing and a hard thing to have uh, Child Protective Services come into our home to uh, investigate, see if I was an appropriate parent for mm-hmm. my son. Um, and then I, I remember, you know, sitting at the table when, when all the paperwork was signed and, and basically they said to Stacy, um, you realize this is though, uh, as though your, your son is a, is a corporation and you are signing over half of that corporation to Karen. And, uh, yeah, it, I'll ne- I'll never forget those times. Yeah, it'd be hard to forget. Yeah. Yeah. It's stories like that that I think that people need to hear more and more, especially this month when the gay community comes together and um, collectively and consciously shines a light yes. on those issues that matter and impact our community. Little things like setting a doctor's appointment mm-hmm. where inequality in policy in the workplace and yeah. healthcare and, and all these places uh, really do make a big difference. Yes. So how do you uh, look at pride now, uh, both in your capacity as a, as a woman who's had her own journey and, and like the story that you, you just told about going through this experience with your with your children but then how do you always also express your pride um as a leader in the faith community yeah that pride is a tough one especially for uh, a clergy person because you know it's one of the deadly sins and uh, we could talk forever about that and whether it is or isn't and all that but uh, it's just kind of hard to wrap your head around uh pride in um at, absent of all the negative connotations that I always go with it. So um, there, there's a time in my life when I wondered about pride, whether it was necessary. There was a time when I understood it as absolutely necessary. Um, now I'm more in a place of, uh, I do believe that pride, pride celebrations are important, especially important for the people that, uh, that we haven't learned to uh, bring along yet. One of the things very important to me is I have uh, members of my congregation who are who are black who tell me it's still harder to be black than gay in Austin. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. We as a, a queer community need to embrace people of color and, and all the rainbow colors. We need to be concerned about um, bringing in and, and supporting, being very visible and vocal on behalf of our uh, trans brothers and sisters. Uh, they're, they're often they really are this sort of the addendum, the T uh, on the LGB, and um, we need to do a better job with that. So I, I think pride is as important as ever. I also think we need to make sure that we can handle everything from uh, leather and fishnet stockings to um, uh, shirts and ties and polo shirts and uh, kids and no kids and, and just all the diversity of, of the human condition is is present in our in our gay community in our queer community and we're not always mindful of that so i think uh, pride is a great opportunity to remind us of that and bring us back together around uh, common themes specifically with the with the queer community 
Um, I believe we have been reviled for so long, persecuted for so long, demeaned for so long, uh, that it is important for us to to rise up to show people that uh, we too are part of the human family, and we may uh, uh, take a, a, a we may take our steps differently, but we are, we are on the same journey, and. I would love to see, especially during Pride, I would love to see us rise up and and show the rest of the community all the diversity of everything that we have. And that means where we have um, uh, communities of faith that are beyond open and affirming and and that have gotten to the point where we are of of celebrating uh, the diversity in life. I I would love for us to see uh, Pride include groups and organizations that that are uh, people of color, that are um, people uh, of advanced age, young people, um, people who don't identify, um, who just don't fit the binary beyond gender, that just don't um, uh, fit the binaries that we, the dualistic thinking that we apply to so much. I would love to see all of that during Pride. And I would love to see us, rather than some of the infighting that I think we're infamous for, uh, to see it be a time when we really bring ourselves together. You mentioned that the, the, the LGBT community, the queer community, has a history of being vilified. And I think as a community, that can create um, trauma for all of us. I feel like sometimes... And this is coming from a guy who grew up in rural Arkansas and still has family there and has watched their evolution around these issues as well. I think sometimes that trauma creates a little bit of some sensitivity to how other people view us or talk about us or engage with us. I will confess that I don't always know how to talk about the transgender community. I don't know if I'm saying the right word. Mm. Um, I'm not transphobic, but I'm not completely Mm -hmm. educated on how to engage. And that's coming from someone with inside the community. I can only imagine what that's like for Mm -hmm. my family, for example, Mm -hmm. in Arkansas. My brother called me the other day and he said, have I told you I'm friends with a couple of lesbians? I was like, (laughs) no. And this is in the middle of very rural Arkansas. And he says, I I just love these these lesbians. They come over and then we, we ride horses and they're fantastic. I don't know that he would have the the words to be able to say it in a way that we would find quote unquote appropriate to be received. Yeah. Sometimes I think we make it hard for ourselves to be loved. Mm. Hmm. How can we as a community and how can we help those people who want to be our allies feel like they can ask yeah. questions without being offensive? Yeah. How, how do we handle that? How do they handle that? Well, I think you just made one of the the biggest mistakes that an interviewer could make because I think you just gave me like 37 things All to right. think about. <laughs> Go for it. Um, Pick one. I, I want to start with um, with the trans community because uh, you said, you know, uh, that you don't know everything you need to know and blah, blah. neither do I. And I think the starting place for every uh, issue like that is for us to acknowledge where we don't know and to be willing to learn, and to be willing to learn first and foremost from the people who are living that reality. But when I ask, I don't want to be attacked. 
Yes. Okay. So that that some of that comes down to to personal responsibility, and and I'm going to say a lot of things about about this. So, um, bottom line, um, oppression, sickness, and internalized homophobia are very real things. Many of us who are gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, we are walking around with woundedness. And sometimes it's just, I just think, you know, we need to just celebrate that we're still upright. Yes. Because when you grow up and you have to keep your deepest self a secret, when the expression of your love, which is generally celebrated, is anathema to people, all these things, we carry those with us. Uh, we, we have feelings of inadequacy. Um, when I was um, going through the, the Presbyterian process for ordination, uh, occasionally, well, pretty regularly, people would leave the church that I was a part of. And I remember specifically there was a gentleman who had been born in the church, uh, in that particular church, had been a member for almost 80 years, who just could not abide the thought of a lesbian being ordained. And he left the church, and my feeling was, I've taken away his church. Yeah. These things are real. Internalized homophobia, when we find that we have freed ourselves from structures of oppression and, and mistreatment, we sometimes carry those same things because we've learned them and, and apply them to other people. If we grew up in the church, uh, you can't just... Uh, one day decide, okay, I'm gay and and everything that I learned was wrong and I'm okay with who I am and and I'm proud and all that. You can't. Uh, It takes a lot of work. So there, there are things that do make us sensitive, that do make us wounded. Henry Nouwen um, talks about the wounded healers in the world. Uh, these are these are people who understand their own woundedness, but who are uh, moving beyond that to become healers. I like to take that one step further and say, not only are there wounded healers, there are healed healers. There are people who are no longer living in the places of hurt, who are open to learning and um, acting in uh new and and transformed ways? Perhaps the simplest beginning would be to say that our brokenness reveals something about who we are. Our sufferings and pains are not simply bothersome interruptions of our lives. Rather, they touch us in our uniqueness and our most intimate individuality. Our brokenness is truly ours. Nobody else's. Our brokenness is as unique as our chosenness and our blessedness. The way we are broken is as much an expression of our individuality as the way we are taken and blessed. Yes, fearsome as it might sound, as the beloved ones, we are called to claim our unique brokenness just as we have to claim our unique chosenness and our unique blessedness. Still, my own pain in life has taught me that the first step to healing is not a step away from the pain, but a step toward it. When brokenness is, in fact, just as intimate a part of our being as our chosenness, and our blessedness, we have to dare to overcome our fear 
and become familiar with it. Yes, we have to find the courage to embrace our own brokenness, to make our most feared enemy into a friend, and to claim it as an intimate companion. Uh, when I was still in the Presbyterian Church and, and working to be ordained, and it, it, there were there were many people involved in that effort with me. And uh, one of them was uh, Reverend Jim Rigby, who's uh, well known in Austin and 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 beyond as a champion of of uh, social justice. And uh, I always wished, oh, I I wish I had the the fire and the um, the stamina and the uh, the approach of Jim Rigby. And Jim would always say, no, nope, Karen, you do you. You are who you are. And then I've found, oh, it's okay to be uh, be a different kind of activist, to be a different kind of, of person. And I became comfortable with that. But some people aren't. They're not comfortable with being. Um, my, my friend Janie Spar says that all of us gay people should be uh, open to the idea of being curriculum for other people. But sometimes, dang, I don't want to be curriculum. I just want to be me. I, and I, you know, I just want to be off for a day. So it takes all of us. If you run into a person, you ask them a question they don't want to answer, don't push. You'll, you'll run into the next one. And that, that person will give you, um, give you the, the, the answers that you need, or at least a, a part of it. And, and also we've got to remember that none of us is iconic. None of us stands for the whole. So you may learn from uh, one transgender person that this is their primary experience. Another one will tell you something else. Uh, their main concerns aren't the same. Their main struggles aren't the same. Uh, so I guess that what I'm saying is, uh, be a lifelong asker, a lifelong learner, um, Humility, humbleness is a great place to start. I'd like to go back to uh, one of the words that you used, uh, and that is, that is grace. I find it challenging right now and almost a little bit scary to even do things like a podcast or put myself out there because of the woke community yes. that exists yes. out there, right? Yes. So what would your advice be to a young community that was um, that came of age during a time when political correctness was uh, top of mm -hmm. mind in our society uh, that feel like they are right um, mm -hmm. that to me comes off as purist and those of us who are a little bit older that may have grown up in a different time when things were different when mm -hmm. different words were used when different actions were considered acceptable or funny but Many of the people that uh, I feel get attacked by the woke community have a lot to offer. How do you reconcile experience and being progressive? Sometimes people can be so woke, though, that they, they almost, like, undermine what they were trying to do in the first place. But, like, by mistake, you know? Like, a good example is, is like, one day I was walking with a group of my friends, right? A group of friends and... I was the only non-white person in the group. And then someone shouted from across the road. They were just like, hey, you monkey. And then my friend was like, oh man, Trevor, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> and I was like, wait, how do you know he was talking to me? <laughs> and he was like, oh no, I, I'm, I'm, cause he said the racist thing. And, and then I was like, no, no, he said the monkey. <laughs> how do you know he was talking to me? And he was like, well, I mean, cause I mean, 
it can't be any of us. Because then I was like, no, you look more monkey than I do. What are you talking about? This is just about monkey feature. It could be anyone's a monkey. It could be the way we walk. It could be the actual monkeys behind us. It could be. Okay, I just want to riff on this for a little while yeah. because I think about this a lot. Um, and, and I want to give you some examples. Um, but I'll start by saying you can never underestimate context. Okay, so um, I know I'm not supposed to read the comments of Facebook posts because they send me into a deep depression or, or raise my blood pressure or whatever, but I do. And so I see a lot of these things that you're talking about where uh, we're, we're attacking each other. You know, you don't see it exactly the way that I do. So, um, so we're in disagreement more than agreement. Mm-hmm. All. Um, here, here's an example of what I mean. Um, I know people who believe that it's absolutely inappropriate to call to address anyone as sir or ma'am. Um, and and uh, they say that that's, you know, that's, that's bi- unnecessarily binary, that's uh, labeling people, we don't know what their pro- preferred pronouns are, et cetera. And so here's a story that, that I want them to know. I grew up in the South. I grew up in a family that was um, very prejudiced, that said things that, um, that just make me want to cry, that did things that make me want to cry. And um, I, I wanted to separate myself from that. And one of the things that I will do when I first meet a person, and this is particularly a black person, is I will use sir or ma'am as as my address. So I will say, yes, sir, or hello, sir, or whatever. And and now some people will criticize that. Oh, my goodness, you're going straight to the labels and you're, you know, that's binary thinking. All, and this is what I say to them. I grew up in a time when words like boy and girl were hurled as insults and were used as uh, disrespectful uh, titles for men and women of color. And one of the first things that I do, which in my mind um, suggests respect, is I will address a person of color as sir or ma'am. Um, and and to be to be vilified for that, to be accused for that, is one of those times when I want to say, give me a break or show some grace. Um, I think sometimes people that are very, uh, very genuine, um, that are motivated in the right ways, uh, take their own sensitivity too far. Uh, I personally know many um, uh, trans persons who are absolutely comfortable and, um, and feel whole in their gender expression now that they have uh, gone through whatever they wanted to or not, you know, but, but as they are expressing themselves in their, in their correct gender, that love to be, um, to have the correct pronouns used. They, they fought, they, they suffered to become he or to become she and to say, well, but now we can't call anyone he or she because we should be thinking in terms of they to, to make that blanket assertion and to take that away from people is I, I, maybe it's honest and maybe it's um, comes from a good place, but it doesn't play out well. So we just we tend to take things too far. I'll go back a few years. Um, uh, Lieutenant Dan uh, Choi was a, 
a U.S. Army officer who was fighting to um, get rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And he went on a hunger strike. It didn't last very long because things moved quickly. But but he went on a, a hunger strike and proclaimed himself on a hunger strike. He was attacked by people who said it was evidence of his privilege that he could go on a hunger strike, that he regularly had food, that it wasn't uh, that homelessness or hunger were not issues for him. And he he was attacked by queer people even. So that's when I say, ah, mm -mm, give each other a break there. Exercise grace. Um, Understand that we are where we are. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, uh, you, you do the best you can until you know better, and then you do better. Yeah, great advice. I have a painting by Phoebe of a group that she calls Sister Suki's Funeral. And they all the women, there are about nine women, and they, they all look like women in my grandmother's uh, prayer meeting group. So whenever I'm obliged to do something, I take that painting, and I look at that painting. There's an empty chair, and I think, now, what would Grandma do? What would she say? I can almost hear her voice say, now, sister, you know what's right. Just do right. You don't really have to ask anybody. The truth is, right may not be expedient. It may not be profitable, but it will satisfy your soul. I can imagine my family listening to this, um, my friends in Arkansas listening to this who don't identify with, with our community, and them saying, why the hell do you make life so complicated? All these labels, all of these exclusions, all of these considerations, why are you making this so hard? Mm. What do you say to that? I think the first thing that comes to mind is I am responding to those of you who have made it so hard. Uh, I, I'm not making this hard. I'm, I'm trying to uh, find a way. You know, we, we want to be known. We don't want to go through the world without being known. We want people to know our names. We want people to know who we love. We w- want people to know uh, what we stand for. And if if those things have been taken away from us or if we've been told we have to keep them hidden, uh, if we don't even own the language for those things, um, then we're not living a, a full life. And and back to the faith aspect again, you know, I believe that that Jesus said, um, "I came that you might have life and have it abundantly." And part of that abundant life is uh, living for others, and part of it is just living into who you are and all the the fullness and diversity that God created you in. So, you know, I think that internalized homophobia, again, leads me quickly to, oh, uh, do you think I'm making it hard for myself? Oh, I wonder if I am. You know, yeah. uh, we second guess and ourselves. If you could explain what internalized homophobia is for listening. Well, when we when we live our life hearing and, and it's not as horrible as it used to be, but it's still horrible. I mean, every, every week I meet someone either whose, um, whose children, uh, will not accept 
that they are gay will not accept their partner, will not let them visit the grandchildren, or uh, I made a child who's been kicked out of the house because of their um, sexual orientation. I, I meet um, uh, a, a youth that's living uh, in the closet undercover, um, sharing uh, his transgender identity only with friends and not with family, you know, that, that, that's everywhere. So when you grow up and you, you learn a culture of secrecy, of uh, you hear all the comments uh, about um, perversion or sinfulness or immorality, uh, when you see, and, and this is not as, uh, as much of a, a thing anymore, but when you see no role models, uh, no, no, it used to be, you know, no politicians were out, no uh, stars were out, TV, um, TV shows featured gay people as, as caricatures. When you grow up in that, you can't help but take some of it in. You know, it's like if you, if you place a, a, a felt tip marker on a, on a napkin, that's just, that's going to seep in. And, it, and we don't even know all the places that seeps in. So that internalized homophobia is when we act out of those places where we've been harmed or wounded or where, where we've learned uh, harmful behaviors. Hmm. I have two more questions for yes. you. Um, is, is there ever going to be a day when pride is no longer necessary or pride looks very, very different from the way it looks now? I think that pride... Uh, will look very different from what it is now just as part of just you know evolution um so i think the key part of your question is 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 there will be a time when it's not necessary and i i have no idea but i'll put it in my own context there's a lot of conversation right now about whether mcc churches are necessary and um and so we're we're you know, we as a, as a community are saying absolutely still necessary, more necessary than ever. And people will say, but but there's so many churches now uh, where where gay people are welcome, where you can be married in the sanctuary, where they will baptize um, the children of, of gay folks. Yeah, but not all of them. And you don't know where they are and you don't know when you're going to walk into one. And, and so there's still some care. Yeah. Absolutely. MCCs are still necessary. Gay pride is still necessary. I've always told organizations that I work with, if you truly welcome, uh, validate, celebrate uh, the queer community, say it. Don't say all are welcome or we respect everyone because most of us have had the experience of where we are the asterisk, except. So if, if, you, uh, if you mean it, say it, say it right out, you know, put the rainbows up, put the trans flags up. Um, and I, and I say that to, to all people who are allies, take every opportunity to initiate conversations around your acceptance, your welcome, your support, your safety. And if you're part of our community, uh, be on the forefront with um, support and encouragement for each other, not the dragging each other down or attacking each other for not doing it the way I would do it or the way that I want it done. Uh, the last question I have for you is where does the leader go for leadership? Who are your mentors? Who do you look to for influence and support and role models? Uh, there, I, I have so many. And um, 
but, but here's what I think is important to your listeners. I, I, I was challenged by a Facebook post that I read um, recently that said, all of us who are over 45 should have mentors who are under 35. Not, not that we should be mentoring folks under 35, but that we should have mentors who are under 35. And so that is something I'm taking very seriously. I have role models. I have um, mentors. I have people who uh, pray for and encourage me who are older, who have been through it. And, but right now I'm really trying to draw on those uh, younger uh, people as well. You, you can't spend quality time with someone um, and not uh, add something to their lives and add something to your life. It, whether it's someone you know well, don't know well, anytime you look a person in the eye, you acknowledge them, you respect them, you connect with them, both lives are going to be better. I appreciate you listening. If you haven't followed me on Facebook or Instagram, please do. And if you could take a minute to give the podcast a positive rating, that would really be helpful for me. Until next time, I'm Chad Peavy.